boy's got utter belief in him. And somehow she's found the acceleration. Hello, runners, track and field fans, Let's Run Nation. Welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. What a show we have in store for you. One of our own has broken the world record, I mean, world's best at 50 kilometers. Shakari Richardson has run really fast in Florida, while Matthew Sinchowitz has not. Gudaf Sagai has prevailed in the battle of world record holders at the Ethiopian Championships. And folks, Elliot Kipchoge is back, baby. He's racing his first marathon this weekend since his defeat in London in October. All of that and more. Can't wait for today's show. Let'srun.com co-founder Robert Johnson, joined as always by my genetic equal but much faster brother, Weldon Johnson, as well as ace staff fighter, Jonathan Galt. Guys, excited to be here. How are you guys doing? I'm great. I don't think the Boston Red Sox have lost a game since our last podcast. Uh, I don't think they're going to lose a game the rest of the season. So all's well here in Boston, Robert, even though it normally would be Boston Marathon week. I'm feeling I'm feeling nostalgic. I'm feeling sad because for the second year in a row, there won't be a Boston Marathon on Patriots Day. And I don't know if you guys have seen the breaking news. There may be no Boston Marathon at all. I was on Twitter late at night. Folks, Twitter is a waste of time late at night. Don't go on to it. But I saw this tweet last night at 10.55 p.m. The 2021 Boston Marathon has been rescheduled to the Indigenous People Day holiday in October without consulting the Indigenous people organizing celebrations. Sign the petition to support the Native organizers' demand that the marathon date be changed. John, if you want to appear woke and improve your dating game, I urge that you sign that petition right now. John, your silence speaks volumes. Speaking of silence, I haven't heard from Will Weldon. Are you okay? Where are you? Are you here? Right here. I'm doing great, actually. You guys see this? Can you hear that? I can see it. Did you get adult braces? Mechanical doping has come to the podcast. I got back a little quicker from my run today, hopefully, because I am trying the Airwave Performance Mouthpiece. Mine arrived this week. I'm like a real athlete, you know, like who are those professional football players and stuff? They twirl the mouthpiece and basketball players sometimes between shots. Now this has come to running. Got it. You you have to fit a mouthpiece. I didn't realize that. Popped into the microwave, fit it, went out for a run today. I'm ready. I'm ready. Performance doping. Abdi Abdurrahman. Last time we raced, I beat him. We're about the same age. So look out, Abdi. The airwave performance mouthpiece. 16 years of research. They... Say it can increase endurance by reducing respiratory rate by 20%. That means less lactic acid. Faster recovery times because it can reduce cortisol buildup by 50%. You guys should all try this out. And if you go to Airwave, that's A-I-R-W-A-A-V dot com. Use code LR10 to save 10%. This thing isn't crazy expensive. It's 40 bucks. Use code LR10. You save 10% more. I'll let you guys know next week more how it's going, but my first run today, I'm ready. I'm ready, baby. Have I just not opened my mail? I thought they were going to be sending me one. I'm the one that needs it the most. This is my chance to beat Weldon. I take Weldon's away from him. I wear it all the time in my runs, and I dominate. I've always said, folks, this does make sense to me. Like, the spinners, their faces are so relaxed when they're running fast. Remember, my free coaching tip of the day, relaxed is fast. I could have used it last night, guys. My... Competitive sports season has come to end. Division three, 
of the Rowaitan paddle. We were eliminated last night. We went up against the number one seed, and me and my partner bowed out. I'd been What's up, the Rowaitan paddle? You know, you know what paddle tennis is, John? It's not pickleball? No, no. I'm not sure. Pickleball is supposedly hot now for the summer, but pickleball is a summer sport, supposedly. But I view pickleball as an old person sport. Paddle, Fairfield County. It's a rich man's sport, apparently. But Division Three, and we were playing the number one seed, so that doesn't mean we were very highly seeded and we're out. If I'd worn this, we lost the first set six zip. And then we battled back, second set, we're up 5 3. I mean, this is epic. This is UCLA taking on Gonzaga. And then I, I just, the pressure got to us. If I was a little more relaxed, a little less cortisol, probably should have been wearing the airwave during the paddle match. Now what, I'm supposed to go run 5Ks or something? Like, no. Competitive running, I'm done. I'm done. All right, well, let's talk about some competitive running. Robert mentioned it in the intro. A Let's Run.com Supporters Club member broke a world record, well, technically a world best, in Oregon yesterday. That would be Des Linden. She ran 259.54, the world best at 50 kilometers. She smashed it. It was 307.20. She goes 259, the first woman in history under three hours. That is 547 pace for 31 miles. Instant reactions, guys. I'm glad she put it under three hours. Des, she may not be in her prime, but she's still a really good runner. And I'm kind of glad to see her doing this now. And this record, it's no longer in the Josh Cox range. No offense to Josh, her agent, who is the American 50K record holder. I guess he wasn't the world record holder. But he gets a lot of, he's still the 50K record holder. But it's not a lot of people try to do that distance. By going under three hours, she crushes the old record. Someone just can't go out there and beat this record. So I'm, uh, everyone's expected her to get the record, but she's running farther than she thought. But she broke three hours by six seconds. So I was kind of cool and impressed to see that. Yeah, and her marathon split here was 231.12, and then she kept going. She actually slowed down a little bit over the final five miles. And I thought it was interesting because one of the reasons I think she wanted to try this is She's mentioned with the advent of the super shoes, that last 10K of the marathon, it ain't as hard as it used to be. I mean, that was always about struggle. It was about your muscles breaking down, your body betraying you. And that's just, you know, the the super shoes have sort of taken that out. And one, I thought her quote afterwards was interesting. And she said at 25, 26 miles, it was that depletion where I'm right on the edge of cramping. I need to manage this. I've taken up fluids, but do I take a little more? All of those challenges that used to happen with 10K to go were there and were present. And they're the things I miss most about watching marathons. When people's feet start to stick to the ground and you go, they've lost 20 seconds in the last mile. Can they manage it? Which way is it going to go? Yeah, John, when you wrote, when I read your article that you wrote on the recap, that's what struck me. And then David Monte of Race Results Weekly put out an opinion piece that the 50K should be an official world athletics distance. I'm going to go bolder, folks. Rojo's known for his hot takes. I think we should ban the marathon and go strictly to the 50K distance. I Seriously, I like this. The marathon used to be like this battle in the wall, and you never see this anymore. And are they going to hold on? Des said it herself. You know, are they going to hold on? And now we don't have that anymore. So let's get rid of the marathon, at least for like a four-year trial period. We'll run only 50Ks. It'll be more of a challenge, and we'll see. Now, it would actually be, I'm kind of joking, but only kind of. Like, if we actually did this, 
would people just learn how to train for the 50K and balance their efforts and would it be the same? Like there would be no difference? Or is there some physiological thing about the wall and, the, you know, before the shoes you used to actually hit it, now you don't hit it? It would be, I, I'm, I'm somewhat interested in this because I would like to have like, I've always said in our sport, we need more, we don't have the interceptions. We don't have the flute goals. So it would be kind of cool if somebody had a lead in a marathon and just suddenly bonked and didn't win it anymore. So I, I did think that was an interesting take from her. And my other takeaway from this is if you haven't signed up for the supporters, let's run.com VIP supporters club. You need to do it now. Let's run.com slash subscribe only a dollar 50 a week. I'll send you a shirt, but you sign up and your daughter wins an NCAA title. One subscribers club member. Well, I don't know if there's actually, I'm not sure if they, this person was a member. I know they bought a shirt. Um, the daughter won NCAA title. Now Des is a supporters club member. She wins, sets a world record. And, you know, I send out the shirts to people. There was one time there was one guy, the name sounded kind of familiar. And I thought, oh, is this guy an alum? I thought he went to an Ivy League school when I was in the Ivy League because I recognized it. I texted him. I said, hey, are you such and such of such and such school? And he said, no, sorry, but I do have my own Wikipedia page. So I Googled that. This guy was like an Olympic 800-meter runner. So... Join the elite. Become a VIP now. Let's run that slash subscribe. Yeah, I thought De- Dez's comments about the marathon were interesting. You know, like, that's what I miss about watching marathons. And so do we think the bonking doesn't happen as much? Just people are more sophisticated in their training. And there's more, if there's 20 people in a race and there's more depth. So the guy who bonks or girl who bonks, you don't see them because they drop out of the top 10. Or is it the super shoes combination, probably? What do you guys think? Yeah, this, I mean, this is mostly anecdotal. I wouldn't be able to say definitively that's the case, but it does feel like you see, especially if you look at some of these Dubai marathon races or Valencia, where you get down to a pack of two or three, and then they're still closing very fast over the final 5K, as opposed to an event where you know, you get someone with a big lead and can they hold it or do they totally blow up? I know that's, I'm sure that has still happened. I'm trying to think of a a recent example where someone sort of got out to a big lead and totally blew it. I I mean, definitely look, Japanese Olympic trials in 2019, uh, Yudha Shatara did that. Um, I'm trying to think of other recent examples. It does happen. Uh, Jake Riley came from way back in the US Olympic trials to make the team. But it does, you know, anecdotally, it feels like it's athletes just aren't cratering quite as hard over the final 10K as they might have, unless it's like a really brutal course like Atlanta. Did you guys see who, whose American record Des B? Was it Janice Klecker's, I believe, the mother of Joe Klecker of the On Athletics Club? Yes, it was. God, nothing gets by Jonathan Gold. And I thought that was pretty interesting because Joe Klecker's dad was the. 50k American record holder as well. I didn't realize that because when Jim Walmsley beat that, everyone talked about how, you know, Mr. Klecker, blanking on his name, Bonnie Klecker, how he had the men's record. And at the time, people didn't say, oh, his wife has the woman's record, but that's quite the family. So Joe Klecker, now one of America's hopefuls for Tokyo at 5k, but hey, his future might be in a little bit of longer distance. But one other thing that's cool about this is I do think it's neat that sort of an elite marathoner is doing the ultra world. I really think that I've said Kipchoge should look for new challenges after the Olympics. 
make some money in New York. Uh, go there immediately after the Olympics. You need to do run New York. Try to win all of the majors, but then also try to win some of these ultras, like you know, um, comrades in, in South Africa. That would be amazing. So I, I just think that the like to me. We've long known that Kipchoge is – and we'll talk about Kipchoge later in the show about his race, but he's the greatest time trial flat marathoner ever. But is he good on hills? I don't know. Is he good? So when – you know, like the Grand Slams in tennis, you've got the French Open, the Wimbledon, different surfaces. Let's see Let's see you do, you know, not only the flat marathons. Let's see you do the hilly marathons. Let's see the unrabbited marathons. And then let's see you do the ultra marathons. That would be cool. But enough ultra talk, guys. Let's go to the big meet of the weekend, the Miramar Invite. And by the way, if you are a VIP subscriber, check the subscriber forum. John and I tried out a video show on Monday to sort of talk about this meet. We went, we were pretty happy with it, but we'd love to hear your feedback. So go to the VIP forum. You can watch that video show. But John, what an absolutely amazing meet. I mean, the names just entered. I was excited about this. I was like, my God, every sprinter in the world seems to be in this meet. It's particularly the US-based sprinters. I mean, I know some people weren't there, like Noah Lyles, et cetera. But and then we started at the last minute, like AJ Wilson's going to be in this thing, Matthew Sensiewicz, Robbie Andrews. Like this thing had it all. And I don't know. I mean, obviously, the biggest performance, I think, has to be Shikari Richardson, the 2019 NCAA champion, the fresh who, who won NCAAs as a freshman at LSU, ran 1075. And you're like, this woman has gold medal potential when you see that. I mean, what a performance. But then after that, she doesn't even make the world championship team in the individual event. Does run fast last year in the pandemic year, but there's nowhere you know to show it really. And then runs faster than ever, ten seven two. I guess that shouldn't shock us because she's run ten seven five past, but to open in that, I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I saw it, and I she crossed the finish line, and I immediately thought, okay, she's your favorite for the Olympic hundred meters, and maybe that slander towards Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, the GOAT of women's sprinting, the reigning world champion, who ran 10.71 in Doha to win that title. But there's two ways to look at it. You can say, okay, is this Michael Norman circa 2019 where he runs 43.4 in his you know first 400 in April, never runs faster, isn't 100% of the world championships and bombs out in the semis? Or is this someone like Usain Bolt in 2008 where he starts with a 9.76, then he breaks the world record in May, and then he breaks the world record again at the Olympics. And I'm not saying she's going to break the world record because A, I think 10.49 is basically untouchable. But I think between the sort of Norman and Bolt approaches, I think I kind of expect more towards Bolt. I think she will improve. And maybe she doesn't necessarily run faster. I mean, she might run slightly faster. This was a pretty good conditions for sprinting. Like she had like a one nine wind. It was like 80 degrees. I mean, that's pretty ideal, but I don't think she's totally going to fall apart. And then some people will say, well, look in 2019, she ran 10, five NCAAs and she got dead lost at USA's. And I would say, well, she was a 19 year old freshman. She had a long collegiate season. She'd been racing since January. USA's that year and went until the end of July because worlds went until October. So I do think she'll be able to keep improving to hold that form. And I think she's the woman to beat in Tokyo in the 100. And the other thing I've been wondering about this is how big of a star will she be if she sweeps the 100 100 meters? She's not as good at the 200, right? But she's pretty damn good at it. Um, But, you know, it it seems to me that, you know, in America, we're right now really 
very much focused on equality, women's sport, or you know, rising the end of racism and the celebration of women and the rising up of women, particularly in the sports thing. We're trying to find equality, and America is desperate for female sprint star, sports star, female sports stars, and there aren't that many, and there aren't that many options really to be a big sports star. I mean, women's tennis, the women make a ton of money, but nobody else really does. Track might be second, and I don't think there's anyone that's better positioned to make money over the next seven years than Shikari Richardson. I mean, you're going to have the Olympics this year. Then you've got a USA World Championships next year. Then another Olympics in 2024. 20, but then the big one will be the U.S. Olympics in 2028. Build that brand name. It's a home Olympics. There's going to be a lot of people. You know, I, I think she should be, probably be able to get outside sponsors as well because, John, we've talked about this before between me and you, but, like, she's a very, like, she's not afraid to... to be Shakari Richardson. She's outspoken. Look at her Twitter feed. I mean, she'll say whatever she, she she talks about. She'll talk trash to other runners, but she's not afraid to back Colin Kaepernick. She's very much into the BLM movement and stuff like that. So w- when you're looking for a powerful woman, Shakari Richardson is it. Yeah, I think the more people learn about her, you know, she's not going to appeal to everyone, but I think she'll appeal to plenty of people. She's certainly exciting to watch and to listen to. Uh, you could see... And she did an interview with Addo Bolden and Lewis Johnson on the broadcast after her race. And she's like essentially telling him, look, I'm not done. This is going to be a big year for me. You guys, you know, you'll pay attention. Uh, I'm going to make people pay attention to the women's hundred. And I, I'm very, I'm certainly paying attention now. And I think her versus Shelly Ann Fraser Price in Tokyo is going to be a sight to behold. And then Elaine Thompson, you never know. I mean, we know she has the talent, but she's not. She has not done it at the major championships since her Olympic win in 2016. Obviously, that's a big but. She won the 100 and 200 in Rio. But recently, she hasn't quite got it done. And she was only fourth in the 200 in this meet in Florida. But if she can get back on her game, then maybe you got a three-way battle. It, it should be one of the best events of the Olympics. And John, I don't know if you still have that tweet, but tell everyone. Can you tell people about the tweet? Like she's sending out tweets to her fellow competitors. Like I'm a 10, seven woman, you're 10, nine. We're not even in the same ballpark. Although the more I think about it, I, I do wonder, she's kind of the perfect woman for her times, but some of these big corporations are a little bit nervous. And so they could be a little bit afraid to sponsor her. Cause she's not going to be, she's, she's not Allison Felix. She's not Sydney McLaughlin. And I think that's good because Sydney McLaughlin, Allison Felix, they're very polished, well-spoken, you know, you, you know they're not going to put a foot wrong. I'm not saying Shikari Richardson hasn't put a foot wrong either. So, you know, I think I'd be happy to sponsor her. But Shikari Richardson or Allison, sorry, Allison Felix or Sydney McLaughlin would never tweet something like, your PR is a 10.9, we are not the same, which is what Shikari tweeted a couple weeks ago. So I think it's great. Sport needs more personalities like her. I'm excited to see her do well this spring. Sorry, guys. I've been distracted. I'm scrolling through her Twitter feed. It's very entertaining. She doesn't hold back. But then I started laughing because you get sucked into it. and You know, just because you retweet something or whatever. But there's one tweet on here essentially saying, Good morning to everyone that understands that social media is not real life. It's got a clapping emoji. So, but she definitely speaks her mind. and She definitely is running very fast. This year, I'm not as worried as what she did a couple years ago. Didn't make the worlds because she's now a professional. She's not running all these college meets. You open up like this. She only needs to be ready in, what, 10 weeks? So I fully expect her to be in Tokyo. 
What do you guys make of the fact that she's coached by Dennis Mitchell and she said that we know is a convicted drug cheat. She looks up to Justin Gatlin as a role model. I mean, we know she already had the talent before she joined that group. She ran 1075 in college, but are you sort of comfortable with this group being one of the faces of U.S. sprinting or do you not care who her coach is? To be honest, I don't really care that Dennis Mitchell do drugs. At some level, that was how long ago? I mean, I, I wouldn't have made him to this relay teams. We used to be a big deal, but I think that there's so many sprinters use drugs, whether they were caught or not, in the 70s and the 80s. I mean, the number of, when I was coaching in the Ivy League, the number of older white males that were on steroids back in the days in the 70s. John, I know one of the Dartmouth coaches was on steroids back in the day. I know, well, I don't want to, several others. Let's just put it that way. So at some level, it's, it cannot be a lifetime ban. So I, I've said we should have like a thing where you come clean about what you did in the 70s and 80s and move on. And Justin Gatlin, I mean, I said it on the Friday show. I was very impressed by his 999. He, at age 39 to break 10, I mean, he used to be the villain on Let's Run. Weldon had a, a much publicized um, interaction with him, and he, we can link to that in the show notes for people who weren't around, you know, what was it, eight years ago or something like that? Well, he was asking Weldon what his college major was. Great exchange in Let's Run.com history. But, I mean, I used to really despise Justin Gatlin, but, and this is another thing for David Epstein to have on the show, because some people think there is... I don't think it's. A, I don't even think it's even a theory. There's a lifetime effect from being on steroids, so it sticks with you for a long, long time. So maybe they're still benefiting. Maybe he's still benefiting from the doping. But you know, it's like society. You, you, you know, you do something bad, you serve your penalty, and then you've got to be allowed to move on and, and have a second chance. So um, I don't have a problem with it. She, she's got the people in her corner, and she can support it. You know. So Robert, aside here, do you just think because David Epstein is like a sports science writer and he wrote a book about called The Sports Gene that he just knows the answer to every sports science question in the universe? That's sort of how you treat... Like, I'm a fan of his. I think he's a great reporter, but that's sort of how you treat him. Like, oh, he will answer anything about sports and science if we have him on the podcast. Well, we could have Ross Tucker. I'm just I, 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 you know, somebody with more of a science background than me mouthing off about what I think is, is the case. So... Well, one other thing about Mitchell, though, you say, oh, well, he gets a second chance. Do you not remember about four years ago, he was caught in a sting operation by a Telegraph reporter. They were posing as some actor, and he basically offered to supply them or get them in touch with someone who could get testosterone and drugs. I mean, Justin Gatlin dumped him for this incident, and then suddenly Justin Gatlin's working with him again. I mean, to act that Dennis Mitchell isn't... is just totally fine now. I don't know. I feel like that threw up some serious red flags to me. Well, I thought that was a bunch of PR stuff. I, the fakeness in society, I'm going to dump him, and then now, now I'm back with him. Like, come on. Why do I care if he's... Do I think that a sprint coach who used to be on steroids knows where to buy steroids? Absolutely. Do, it, why would I care that he's going to get paid twenty five, fifty thousand $50,000 by some actor to get on HGH or whatever it is? If that doesn't bother me. I don't care. He can be providing steroids to the 45-year-old doctor that's got low T. I mean, turn on sports radio in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Every other ad is an ad for is is for low testosterone. So I don't care what he's doing for the average person. I care what he's doing for the elite athletes. So, yeah, I mean, you're making a point. Maybe I'm a little bit hypocritical, but, like, I don't know. At some level, they're either in the sport or they're not. We're going to give them a lifetime ban just because we don't like him? I was wondering why she was praising Justin Gatlin on the Twitter feed. Makes sense now. I mean, yeah, we can just point out Justin Gatlin, excuse me, 
Oh, yeah, he is a drug cheat, too. I was about to say Dennis Mitchell. They're both drug cheats. We st- I don't think we ever heard the full story. But they've done their time. They're allowed to be in the sport. I, I wouldn't choose Justin Gowan as my coach. I think you're, just there's, you're going to get not necessary questions asked if you, if you chose him as your coach. Uh, it seems to me there's other people who could coach besides him. But a lot of people choose him as their coach these days. I don't think they're choosing, though. If you listen to Kenny Bagnarek from, you know, I spoke to him at USA's a couple of years ago. He's essentially like Nike told me to go with him. This, I think that's a lot. I, I'm sure Nike had some input to Shikari Richardson as well. He's one of their top coaches. His athletes do get results, like him or not. You know, Gatlin was the world champion at age 35. But I do think Nike in recent years has sent several of their top athletes to D- Dennis Mitchell. This makes a little more sense now. When I was scrolling through the Twitter feed, I was wondering why she was giving props to Justin Gatlin. But, I don't know. Gatlin served his time. Dennis Mitchell served his time. I used to make a big deal of this, but like, what's the point anymore? They're both dopers. I don't think we ever heard the full story. But, John Copriati's out at Nike. He was the longtime director of track and field at Nike. Signed all the sponsorships. That guy didn't give a shit about doping anti-doping um or sort of taking a leadership role you know associated with mark block who was banned for the sport for 10 years invited him to the vip box at the olympic trials and wow was that 2012 but he's gone craig mosbach former head of usatf who by all indications cares about anti-doping friend of let's run.com is now in that role so Hopefully he doesn't force athletes to go to or encourage them to go to Dennis Mitchell. But Dennis Mitchell's done his time. I believe in redemption. I, I wish those these guys would come clean. They can't get upset about questions being asked. If you associate with a known doper, you're going to get the questions. So Shikari had better be ready for that. That's a good point, Weldon. And I mean, Craig, if you're listening, I mean, Craig, you know, he once had us broadcast the USATF 10,000, so he very well could be listening to this podcast. Craig, if you're listening, you can may perhaps make a more impact on the sport now than you did when you were in the head of USATF because you can lead the way for Nike. If Nike is serious about doping and won't sponsor dopers and won't, and won't sort of look the other way on doping, whatever, then I think the other companies will follow suit. So please, if you're listening... Do what you can to, to clean up this sport. Okay, so there were some other results from the Miramar invite. You know, in the track events, some pretty fast times from Grant Holloway, 13.04, wind aided. Kenny Harrison won her race. Tr- Kenny Bagnarek ran a very fast uh, 200 with quite a bit of wind, but he ran 19.65 and won that easily. Uh, he's looking like could be an Olympic medal threat in the 200 meters. But then we had some mid-distance races as well. And one of the ones I thought was pretty interesting to watch was RJ Wilson against Natoya Ghoul in the 800. And I was very impressed by RJ Wilson. I'm not surprised she won, but I thought she managed that race tactically very well. Ghoul went out. She, Wilson was sort of in the middle. And then she was just in danger of getting boxed in with 300 to go. She gets out of the box. She doesn't try to get that gap back all at once. She takes it more gradually. And then the last 200 essentially just sat on Ghoul until making a move with 50 to go. So I, I was pretty impressed by that race. Then there were a couple Americans, Robbie Andrews and Matthew Centrowitz, who were not as impressive. Before we talk about Centro and Andrews, 
I want to just – I'm glad you brought up the Hajay Wilson thing because I don't think this has gotten enough publicity. I mean, to me, this was brilliant by coaching by Derek Thompson. She, she up until this point, has kind of been a one-trick pony of either get behind the intersex athletes and let them drag you to a fast time or lead. And I think that's hard. You've got to know your own pace. You've got to be – you know, if – she's realizing the past and Toya goal at the Worlds went out so hard they were battling for the lead at 600 or whatever it was, and they said nothing at the end. So if the other runners are going too fast, you have to be willing to let them take the lead and run in the pack. So to, it looks like she was purposely learning to run in the pack here. This is something that we, I've said in the, repeatedly in the past. I thought Alan Webb never learned. I thought this was brilliant coaching. I thought this is something that Cole Hawker should have done in that Oregon meet even longer. Just stay in the pack. Don't leave. Get used to being surrounded by people. Relax. It's okay. Because it's the last 50. If you're really moving that last 50 in 800, 1500, you can make up so much ground on everybody else who's slowing down quite a lot. But there was something in this women's 800 meter race that was not a good result. Did you guys see where Sierra Brown finished? 204. That is not good. And admittedly, I don't have full information. I didn't reach out for, for comment, but I don't need to reach out for comment. She's not making the Olympic team unless she pulls in Alexi Pappas and finds a new country to run for. I'm sorry. That's, she's too, this event is too loaded. Four seconds is too much time to make up. Unless she tripped. John, you watched the race. She didn't, can you confirm to me that she did not trip? Yeah, she didn't trip. She, you know, She's a world championship finalist in 2019. But like you said, Robert, this event's loaded. That's not a good sign. She's got about nine weeks now to make up that gap. It's going to be tough when you got a thing Mo, Raven Rogers, and Hannah Green also lurking. Yeah, not a good run. She's now with Derek Thompson, right? Yes. I don't know. I mean, her story in 2019 was was tremendous, right? She came out of nowhere. Or not out of nowhere, but she was being coached by gags at the time. But in that Hoka group where you don't have, a, you know, I don't know how many world championship team members they have. She might have been the only one. Um, she ran 158 in 2018, then got injured in 2019, right, and still made the team. Is yeah, she only, she didn't even make the final at USA's because she was she'd barely been running at all. Showed up to USA's, made the semis, but only three women in the final had the standard. And then RJ Wilson wins the Diamond League, which gives a spot to Sierra Brown. The US gets four athletes. She was the only one, I think, the top finisher in the semis with the standard, so she goes to Worlds and then ends up making the final. So a pretty crazy year for her. Yeah, outdoors that year, she didn't even break two, and yet she was a world championship finalist. But you want to be an Olympian, so hopefully she can turn it around. That reminded me of Charlene Lipsy. You guys remember her? I do. She was a world championship finalist in 2017 under Derek Thompson. Yeah, it seems like a lot of athletes... Derek Thompson is... um, Ajay's Wilson's a long-term coach, but when they first go to Thompson, they do great. And I guess that's not happening with Sierra Brown, but she made the world's final in 2017, raced in 2018, and like she's disappeared. No results since then. So if anyone knows what's up with Charlene Lipsy, please email us because it's kind of crazy. It just shows the talent at Women's 800 right now. I mean, she's a world championship finalist. Now she's out of the sport and fine. Maybe we're sexist. We don't even, we don't even know what she's doing. So we should know more about that, but if you're in a woman's 800 meter runner, there there's no room for error right now. I'm so sick of everything that assumes things are sexist or racist. It's not sexism or racism. We don't know what Boris Berrien's doing either. That, that's the problem with the modern world. That's what white privilege is. Because when something happens to me, I can just assume that person's being a jerk. And then when it happens to a minority or a woman, we immediately now are taught to think oh, it's automatically sexism and racism. 
yeah, I wasn't thinking that anyway at all. You guys just brought up the sexism thing unprompted. But anyway, let's move on from this discussion and talk about Matthew Centrowitz. He runs the 1500 at this meet. Sorry, the 800 at this meet. And beforehand, Robert and I sort of had a discussion on our subscribers-only podcast feed, the Friday 15 last week. You know, we drew we drew 148 as the dividing line as to what we thought would be, you know, a decent performance or not. He was well over that dividing line. He ran 150.97. He finished sixth. He went out in last place. He passed one guy on the last lap, was never competitive. The win went to Abe Alvarado in 147.29. Centro barely broke 151. Yeah, I come away from this race and I'm still... I'm still not that worried about him just because, you know, he has sort of a track record of making teams. If you look at back to 2012 on this, on that exact date, April 12th, he had underwent knee surgery and ends up getting fourth at the Olympics that year. You know, it's a little bit different now. He's 31. He's not 22, but I still think he has, a, I still think he's going to make this team until he shows me, you know, right up it's before the trials, he's still not in great shape. John, that brings us to the email of the week. It is on Matthew Centrowitz. I will keep this person anonymous. Dear Ouija, I am writing a story about Centro right now for a class. The story about is about Centro's underwhelming recent performances and the chances he has at making the Olympic team this year and how bad it would be if he gets smacked at the trials because of how much smack he's been talking online in his ego. The draft is due Wednesday morning. So I did an interview for a school paper yesterday, but John's saying he's going to make the team. Essentially, I told this kid I think Centro will make the team, but it's interesting these young guys are interested in whether Centro's talking too much smack, whether it would be a blow to his ego not to make the team, whether Centro's ego is too big. What do you guys think? Well, I think Centro has a big ego, but he's the Olympic champion, which entitles you to kind of have a big ego. So he's, I mean, he's the first American in 108 years to win the Olympic 1500, which is one of the glory events. You know, you can talk some smack when you do that, and then... Even if you don't make the team, he's just going to say, all right, well, I have my Olympic gold medal to hang around my neck. Like, he can, I think we said this in 2016, his, he's set, you know? No matter what he does the rest of his career, the rest of his life, he's always going to be the Olympic 1500 meter champ. So that's a trump card in pretty much any argument. But yeah, if he, if it, it's not going to look great if he's picking fights with some walk-on in Oregon and then doesn't end up making the Olympic team this year. But it wouldn't look great if he didn't make the Olympic team no matter what he did. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the emailer then made me go into, he's like, why is he going after these people on Instagram? Like, what do you think ups with that? And I'm like, I don't know what motivates him to do that. I had no idea. But I, a lot of stars and top athletes, they love to sort of make themselves the underdog, stuff for motivation. I don't think any of this stuff hurts Centro. I think... A bad performance like this, if anything, inspires him. He's like, holy shit, you know, I, I, I'm going to make this team. And as I was telling this kid, there's three things about, you know, what you need to do to make a team. You need to be fit, and then you need to, like, have the nerves on race day, and you need to run tactically smart. And those last two things, no one's better than Matthew Centrowitz. So his fitness is a little bit of a question now, but as you guys pointed out on the Subscribers video show on Monday, 
his history of not opening that fast at 800. So, and his, we know his top end fitness is much better than pretty much everyone else in America right now. So he doesn't have to be at his max. And the other two things are heavily in his favor. So I still expect him to make the Olympic team. But if he doesn't, it'll be one of the great stories of the trials. Yeah, but this still has to be viewed as an F race. But if you don't believe Weijo's word or Jonathan's word or my word, listen to the expert advice of Nick Willis, who tweeted after this race, you can't really read into the 800-meter performances from milers unless it's a declared prioritized race. I only ran 149.54 days before running 329 in Monaco. So I think he's fine. One thing Jonathan and I were debating was, why was he running this race? We couldn't figure out, like, does he... You know, and I, I, I kind of come to the conclusion where he's been working a lot on endurance. I mean, let's don't forget, people, it was just four months ago in December that he beat Cole Hawker, who everyone now is a fanboy of, in a 5,000 meters. So four months ago, his fitness was just fine. And John, you know, we're kind of debating why is he running this race. He must be feeling, I would assume he's not doing it to embarrass himself. I'm assuming he's thinking, oh, I just need a little speaker. I want to see where I'm at. So it didn't. I'm sure this was worse than he expected. But... One other thing John and I were thinking was, you know, Cole Hawker ran an 800 last week in Oregon. Your move, Central. Your move. By the way, we're almost sold out of the Your Move shirts. Your last chance. Go to shop.letsrun.com if you, if, you, if, if you want one. And I'm going to take credit. When Central makes the team, again, I'm putting these shorts out there to motivate him. I think this, the track talk, the smack talk is actually good for Central. He's got an Olympic gold. Obviously, he's going to want to do well at the Olympics again, but this only adds more motivation. Now, there is another 2016 1,500-meter Olympian who competed at this meet, Robbie Andrews, and he was fifth in the 1,500. He was closer to the win. The win went to Michael Cerrone quite impressively, actually. It was quite slow because it was windy, and that's some, one other thing we'll say. Look, central 150.9 in the wind isn't, you know, it's still not going to be fast in still conditions, but it was pretty windy at this meet. And that's why some of the times I think we're a little slow. AJ Wilson, she only ran two flat in her race. So Saruni wins it in 345-84 using a huge lost 100. He came from about six to first. And then Robbie Andrews, I kind of thought, I'm like, look, the old Robbie Andrews, he would be salivating at this kind of race where everyone's in it with 200 to go. He was still there and he just didn't have that close. And I don't know, are you guys rooting? Are you guys riding off Robbie Andrews? Because it's been... A, a while since we've seen a big performance from him. He hasn't even made a U.S. final since he won it back in 2017. Well, he had surgery and Lyme disease. No, I'm not writing him off. That kick? Hell no. I think I am writing him off. He hasn't made a final since 2017. Well, he hasn't even run at USA since 2017, has he? He ran in 2018 and did not make the final. And that was the year that he found out he had, well, by the way, he... Wasn't he running really well right before that, John? By the way, he had Lyme disease. Okay, but you you say you smiling here all smug, like okay, he had Lyme disease and he's been injured. Yeah, but when was the last time he ran a good race, Robert? I mean, at some point, look, I think if he comes out here and he runs one good race, yeah, I'm right back on the Robbie Andrews train. But he hasn't he hasn't shown me anything in three years. At some point, you kind of got to think this guy might be might be done. We've seen it time and time again. To be honest, there's only about four or five. Well, I shouldn't say that, but look, these people that criticize like, oh, this coach isn't any good or whatever, it's because they don't have great A plus talent. There's only a few great A plus A A plus talents in this country. Robbie's one of them. 
So his off day is better than most of these guys' good days. I mean, he's running in this race. So Michael Cerrone is an Olympic hope. You know, he's got Olympic medal potential for certainly at the 800 meters. But, you know, Robbie's – is he doing well? Great? No. Is he running out of time? Yes. But do I think he still potentially can make this team? Yes. I, I view him as a, in a very similar spot to how I viewed Leo Manzano in 2016. And Leo Leo was coming off a world championship final the previous year, so maybe that's not fair. But Leo has had – he has stinkers more frequently than I think other elite 1500 runners. And that year, he was looking very, very bad going into the trials. And then he ran, I think, one race just before the trials. And it kind of showed, oh, okay, he looks like he's back to decent form. And that was enough for me to say, okay, yeah, Leo's a contender to make the team. And he almost made it. And I think if I get that from Robbie, where he's either beating some good guys or he runs something like 337 or 338, then I'm like, all right, he's definitely a serious contender. But until I see that from him, I don't know. It's hard to take him seriously. He also doesn't have the Olympic standard, which you guys say, oh, you don't need the Olympic standard if you got. Well, I don't. Does he have any performance? I need to check him his list. But I think you, you, where, what kind of world ranking points does he have? You'll get a nice chunk if you finish top three at the trials, but he could be in danger from that aspect too. Well, I just looked something up. John, forget about Olympic standard. He doesn't have an Olympic trial standard. I mean, Robbie Andrews isn't going to be at the Olympic trials. Well, wait, no, no, no. Don't they let anyone, if you made the last Olympic team, don't they let you into the trials? I think that's the case, right? And by the way, USATF officials, if you're listening, it's still going to be embarrassing when you only put 30 people on the start line. You're going to have a round of runners to eliminate like three or four people. It's embarrassing. You should have 48 People, let them have that dream on the start line. You go from 48 in the first round to 24 in the second round to 12. Then it means something. It's a little bit exciting, etc. To have 30 people is a disgrace. At a minimum, it should be 36 because people will be scratching down. But it really should be 48. Again. Okay, just ranting on a podcast isn't going to change things. You've been saying that for a couple years. They're going to have 30. That's what they're doing. They're not going to expand it in the era of covid and I guess we'll look into whether Andrews can get in having qualified for the last team. I thought maybe the champions made it. Who knows? But this performance, actually, he's only second off the win. It's way better than what he's been running recently. He's opened the season with a 407-1500. That's, like, not even a good high school time. Then he ran a 223,000. That's okay for him. Then a 151-800 and now 346. So... I just wrote him off, but I want to see him make the trials. Then if he makes the tri- if he gets in shape to even hit the trial standard, I like his trajectory. That's what I'm saying. The and the Olympic trials, they're way more exciting if Robbie Andrews in the ra- is in the race for sure. So I hope he can post something and he's gonna be, you know, he he'll be a big factor in that race if he, you know, can get into even semi decent shape. And I guess the bigger question maybe for let's run.com listeners is is will we be at the Olympic trials. The media guidelines came out yesterday. Bad news, track and field fans. There will be no mix zone at the Olympic trials. It will be virtual. And they also said in this email that the limited media spaces will be limited. So who knows what that means? And they said they're going to go off of who covers multiple sports, which is not us, but hopefully us being arguably the biggest 
online track and field outlet in America in terms of unique visitors per month. Runner's World is bigger, but that's it. We will be invited, but who knows what sort of access. We're not going to have access to athletes. We'll have to like, track them down when they leave the stadium or something. I don't even think we should go. Unless John, want, John wants to go to a free trip to Eugene. Like, What's the point of going just sitting in the stands? I mean, it's going to be on TV. I can't talk to anybody, so what's the point? Like, I'm, I, the point of the trials, and I was talking to a top coach yesterday, and I, right when this email came out, and they were like, that's really stupid. I said, well, I, I anticipated this. I, I realized the mix zone, everyone's underneath a tent, which is basically like being indoors, and you're talking to people very closely. I didn't anticipate them to have a mix zone. And this coach said, how are you supposed to grow the sport if you don't have media? This is stupid. How hard would it be to have an outdoor area on the backfield where you have them, everybody spaced out you know, on that practice field, six, seven feet apart? So you could do it. They just don't want to do it. And I think what they really want to do is they don't want to get the seating to the media because there's going to be a financial hit, big hit with no fans or very limited limited fans. Let's say it's 50% capacity. Well, those media tribunes right by the finish, they need to put those in fans. So they're, they're going to be missing out on six 7,000 seats. So if you get in a couple extra hundred fans, you know, I, I just kind of think this is an excuse for them to get more fans in the stands because the state of Oregon's being idiotic and is going to limit the, the, the fans there instead of just letting it be full capacity, which I think it should be full capacity. That's rich. Robert's saying it should be full capacity? I'm, I can't believe you say that. Robert is like the most like Jekyll and Hyde guy in COVID. Very little in the U.S. is full capacity right now. My Texas Rangers were. But Robert wouldn't even meet with his own vaccinated mother. Indoor, you know, I guess outdoors. Maybe. I'm not vaccinated. I don't want to. Uh, well, that's not true. I got my first shot on Saturday, but I'm not vaccinated. I can still get COVID. I would not go to the damn Olympic trials if I'm not vaccinated because I could get COVID and die. So I wouldn't go. But they should have full capacity. Maybe you could require vac. You could do what the New York Yankees do: require an, a, a, a negative COVID test and or vaccine or both. You know, I mean, it, this isn't that hard. If you have the vaccine, that's the best we're going to get. COVID is not going away anytime soon. So I'm saying there's a way if you have full vaccination and negative COVID scan, you can still fill that damn seat. You could do that. That's what you do. You require that. But yes, I'm extremely cautious until my son is vaccinated. He's not going to be seeing people because he could get COVID and have lifelong complications. That's my personal thing. But I, but I don't think that you should impose limit other people's freedom, particularly once they're vaccinated. So yes, I've been extremely cautious. Again, I've criticized Fauci for not being cautious enough. He goes to the baseball game. He sits uh, right uh, next to uh, somebody. The COVID alarm is going off here. We're going off the rails here, guys. Yeah, play the damn Rojo man. But I, I mean, Fauci's like, trust the vaccine. Then they pull the vaccine. And then he goes to a baseball game, sits next to people, and doesn't wear a damn mask. So I was saying be more cautious. I'm all for being cautious. But that was until we got the vaccine. The, the COVID's going to be here for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, maybe the rest of our life. So once you're vaccinated, though, you've got to be allowed to live your life. I agree with that last part, Robert. All right. Uh, that was the Miramar invite that was the olympic trials shall we talk we got some big races at the ethiopian championships over the weekend ethiopia has probably the like the most drawn out selection process for the olympics of any country i know they've had basically all their top athletes have been in hotels in addis ababa since january and now they have this ethiopian championships where you but they've had some meets where you have to prove fitness and now they have the ethiopian championships and then the ethiopian olympic trials are going to be in june in Hengelo, I believe. 
So, but over the weekend, we did have some pretty interesting results. Women's 5K, I think we have to start there. Gudov Sagai, the world record holder indoors for 1,500 meters, smacks down Latessa Mbakide, the world record holder for 5,000 outdoors. She wins 1449 to 1440, so 1456. This was at altitude in Addis Ababa. The NCAA conversion converts it down to about 1401, which is obviously faster than the world record. And she did it wearing an Adidas top, Adidas shorts, but Nike spikes, which I found quite fascinating as well, given she was wearing all Adidas gear indoors. So what did you guys make of this race? Well, I said afterwards, like, should we just hand her the gold medal in whatever event she wants to run? Obviously, Sagay's in amazing shape. But I think the answer is no, we can't just hand her the gold medal because that's what makes the Olympics so special is Think about what an exceptional athlete Safan Hassan is to win the 1,500 and 10,000 to close the 10,000 sub four. When she's on her A game, she's incredible as well, as is Faith Kip Yegon. I mean, Faith Kip Yegon is an amazing 1,500-meter runner. So uh, if all of those women end up in the 1,500, that is going to be the most amazing event of the Olympic, I think, on the women's distance side. I mean, it's just unreal. And that's why, again... Rojo's rant, it's a disgrace that the 15 and 5,000 double is not easy to do at the Olympics. It's not perfectly easy because I would like to see an amazing 1,500 and an amazing 5,000. And if some people sort of opt for one or the other, it just, it, it really lessens it. And how do you build stars? You build stars by letting them become household names, building a brand over the full 10 days of the Olympics, run one event early. They do amazing. People start to like them. Oh, that's my favorite runner. Then they watch them again. Instead, World Athletics is making these doubles way too hard. They've added in the mixed gender, which will get them some publicity, but it's making some of these doubles too hard. I'm not a fan of it. But G'day losing a 5,000, that's not that shocking to me. Why? She always loses the 5,000. The only 5,000 she's won in like three years is the one she set the world record. I'm kind of kidding, but I just think why? The, 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 the big picture, Sagay is amazing. But B, I, I think that the 5,000 is the easier event to meddle in for an American assuming all these women end up in the 1500. If I was Shelby Houlihan, I wanted the medal. I would run the 5,000. Again, as I said, you know, Constance Klosterhofen is not nearly as good of a runner as Shelby Houlihan. She does have a medal from the world, from the last Worlds. I think it'll probably be harder to win one than it was at Worlds, but I hope that all of these women go to the 1500, and I hope it's just uh, one of these events we never forget. I was struck. I mean, I, obviously the performance was terrific. And Sagai, she put those seven seconds. All, it was all over the last 300. I mean, she looked you know, she looked like she was working for it. But then the last 300, she just took off. She clearly had a lot left. I was very fascinated by the shoe stuff. Uh, because she was wearing the Adidas Pro Kit indoors. Now, from what I understand, her contract may have been up with Adidas. It may not be have been like a full contract. And right now, she's trying to renegotiate. And so she's essentially competing in the Nike spikes and saying, look, I'm serious. I might not be able to be with you guys. You know, she wants to get paid and she's got quite a big bargaining chip with that world record indoors. She's one of the top talents in the sport right now. So I just, it's very rare though. You see someone sort of wearing the Adidas pro kit with Nike spikes. It's, it's quite uh, an unorthodox sight. I don't think it's that. I mean, I don't know. At first, I assume her contract is up. She's ne- negotiating a new contract. Adidas super shoe is not quite here yet. So 
it makes sense to run in what you think is a faster shoe. Adidas super shoe is going to be here. Uh, everything, you know, their road shoes seem, you know, the world half marathon record w- was set in that. Right. So I assume this is Adidas. They have billions of dollars. It's not one of the lesser shoe companies. Uh, please. It needs to be as good as the other shoes. Otherwise we're gonna have a huge problem at the Olympics with an unfair playing field. But if her contract's not up, she runs, she she doesn't have a sponsor right now, presumably. So she runs in whatever she wants to. And, and she, you know, Nike could sign her. Adidas could sign her. She, it's not like she has to sign, go back to her old company. So I don't, I don't see the big deal here. When I saw her in the split kit at first, I was shocked by it. But then when I found out she's no, she's not sponsored by Adidas and wasn't, that didn't shock me at all. She probably wants to try out the other shoes, see what it's like. John acts like it's, it's a big deal when someone's wearing a different top than different shoes. It happens every Olympic. Every athlete's wearing a Nike top. And most of them, a lot of them are not sponsored by Nike. So yes, it's unusual to see it during the regular season, but it's not, it's not unusual to see it at the Olympics. But what, I don't necessarily think it's a sign that she thinks the Nike shoe is better. At first I thought that, but then I thought, no, she's maybe just be trying these things out to see if she's willing to go to Nike. She set a world record in the Adidas shoes. So, Yeah. One, another interesting result I saw from this meet, men's 5,000. So Getnet Wale won that event at the Ethiopian Championships. And you may remember he was the 2019 Diamond League champion in the steeplechase. But this year, he ran 7.24 indoors for the flat 3K, second fastest all-time indoors. He beat Salomon Borrega in that race. Borrega is the silver medalist from the Worlds in the 5K from 2019. Do you think this could be good news for Evan Jager? Is the fact that Getnet Wale is running the 5K at the Ethiopian Championships a sign that he might actually be focusing on that distance and not the steeple this year? I don't think that at all. I just think this is actually... It's boys, that's an interesting take at some level, John. But to me, this is bad news for Jake. It just shows you what a what great fitness um, Wally's in. I mean, he's already run three thirty five indoors, seven twenty four ninety eight. Now he runs thirteen thirty five at altitude. So the guy's in six six shape. He was fourth at the Worlds in twenty nineteen. The, the thing that's always struck me about the steeple is he's never really won anything. I mean, and, and he didn't win two thousand seventeen. He was ninth at Worlds. The next year, he goes to World Juniors in 2018 and doesn't even win. He's only the junior. And then in 2019, he was running really well, but doesn't win a medal. So a tiny bit thinking, maybe he's not perfectly suited for the steeple, or at least winning races in the steeple. Maybe he should try something else. But no, I wouldn't want any. T- I wouldn't want to touch the 5,000 if I was him. No way. Caplimo, guy, Edris, those people, no chance in hell am I going there. I think this is a bad sign for Evan Jager because this guy's in 6'6 shape, and he's not even – at least in 2019, he wasn't even the best steeplechase runner. And what I noticed is, if you look at some of these results, there's some of these other guys in five and tens in this thing. Ethiopia is now a powerhouse in the steeple. They've got, I, I, I don't even have it all in front of me. I bet they've got four guys that can break A10. So maybe five. I mean, there's some other guys that when I was looking through these results, I'm like, wow, I think I can also run the steeple. I've never heard of him. So one other thing that interested me, though, John, was not the 5,000, was the 10,000. Barahu Aragawe, I'm not even sure who that is, wins it in 28-20. What struck me was, well, second place, Hagos G, 28-22. This is at altitude, folks, 7,700 feet. So all these times you're pretty pretty sick. But Yomif Kajolcha, only fourth. Middle only three seconds back, 28-23.7. I mean, I think that, I don't know, when I first saw that, I'm like, wait, he's only fourth? This guy was 
silver medal, right? Worlds 2019. But then I thought, well, he's only got to he's got to make the team in one month, right? Or is it June? Surely Two June. months. I think it's in June, right? So to me, this is a perfectly fine result. He's in good enough shape to kick for the win now, and he's got two months to get in even better shape. But I've always wondered, like, we have not seen really what Kajelcha, what Hassan are going to do post-Salazar. Are they going to get back to the old form yet? Post-Salazar? I mean, last podcast, wasn't John on, like, pins and needles? Thinking the ruling is coming in, John. Are you like? Are you still? It's a week later. I mean, how many hours in a week have you just been like super nervous for a full week here? Like, how are you doing? I actually kind of forgot about it, but it's like this case happened a month ago. Now they heard it a month ago. When they're going to come out with the ruling? How long does it take? I guess the the decisions sometimes the full decisions t- like eighty pages. I mean, remember the in it, the USADA case. Their decisions were like hundreds of pages long, so and they have to re-arbitrate the whole thing. So maybe it does take a while, but I don't know. I'm expecting sometimes relatively soon, right? By the way, guys, the thirteen thirty-five five thousand, according to the NSA converter, I know it's probably not accurate for an Ethiopian, but that's equivalent to a twelve fifty-one, according to the NSA L two conversion. And I said I didn't know who Berharwe Aragawe was, the winner of the ten thousand. That's not true. Actually, I forgot. I wrote down the notes. He was the World Bronze Junior Medalist of the 10,000 in 2018. He did run 728 indoors in Levin. That was only fourth. So, you know, there's just a lot of talent over there. Can we please stop with the NCA altitude conversion? Like, just these Ethiopian times, they're born at altitude. Robert converts these times. He converted the women's 5K to like a 14 flat. It's just like, no. It, it doesn't apply in this situation. It's for, it, for people not born in altitude, not people who grew up at like 8,000 feet. I think a woman can break 14 flat in the 5,000, and I think that we'll see it fairly soon. I look, I tend to agree with Weldon on this issue because people had people converting like Kip Kano when he ran, you know, his time at the Olympics in uh, Mexico City, they were saying that was worth like what, 325 or something. But the funny thing is, Gudolf Sagai earlier this year, back in January, ran 402 at altitude. And I think that people were like, oh yeah, that converts to like a 351 or a 352. And then she goes out and runs 353 indoors. It wasn't that far off, right? Do I think that Gudolf Sagai could run 1401 for a 5K? Given that the woman she just beat by seven seconds has run 1406? I kind of think she might be able to do that. Uh, I'm not saying it's crazy how close we are to 14. I think a woman will go 14 probably pretty soon, especially with these shoes. But I'm just saying this was not a, f- a 1401 effort. The, the, uh, it's a championship race. They're not time trialing. There weren't rabbits. There weren't lights. It's just a totally different environment. I agree. I agree with that for sure. Can we turn now to some collegiate action? Uh, there's a couple things that caught my attention. And since I didn't get around to writing the week that was, I thought I should bring it up on the podcast. One thing, the, the, the Crimson Tide Invitational was held at the University of Alabama. And we got to give some props. I mean, we're always talking about Jerry Schumacher here and John's in love with Mike Smith now. And he used to be Andy Powell a few years ago. John's always praising these people. And what John seems to not understand is there's a lot of really good coaches. And if they have... A-plus talent, they can get A-plus results. And how about a shout-out to Dan Waters at Alabama and his staff? Because in cross-country, they go 1-3, right, John, for the women's side in cross-country? 
That's correct. And you should give credit. Will Palmer is actually the uh, coach in charge of that, that women's group there. So Amaris Tanisimo and Mercy Chalangat, uh, he's their coach. Though Dan Waters is the program. You know, he's obviously the head coach of the program. He's involved. I was going to also talk about the men's side. So Dan is in charge of the whole thing. I was actually looking up Will Palmer. He went to Williams. I mean, this guy was interning in high school, in college and at the U.S. Coaches Association and really just, you know, he's a D3 runner and wanted to get into coaching. And it's, it's amazing to see the success that he's having. We maybe we should have him on. The, I want to have a Morris Tinemus on the podcast. Anyways, I can't. Well, and I once had a beer with uh, Will Palmer in Aarhus at World Cross Country. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. So, Anyways, Amaris Tanisma, the third placer at NCAA Cross, you know, what, two days after running the DMR, she made her outdoor opener, and she ran 4.12, making her the number one person in the NCAA right now, which, you know, as soon as she was splitting 4.30 indoors is not shocking, but she won by, like, six seconds in this race. So I'm just, I'm really excited about her. I mean, this girl, you know, was like a phenom at, like, 12 and had Tourette's and has battled that and beaten that and is now just kicking complete ass. She actually beat uh, Mercy Chong got in this race who ran, like, was fourth and 4.19. So... Good to see them running well. And then on the men's side, L.A. Kipsing of Alabama. I think we kind of forgot about him because Cole Hawker, you know, won NCAAs in 3.53. He did run 3.55 at NCAAs, and he just ran 3.36.00 in this 1,500 at Alabama this weekend. He won by 10 seconds. That's pretty sick to run that, basically I mean, totally solo. So comes back and runs 147.2 the next day. So I was just really impressed by that. And then, but you look at the results. He runs 336 flat, and then there's a meet at Ole Miss last weekend as well. The top nine guys in the race all broke the old meet record that Alistair Craig held. Well, he'd still men of Ole Miss runs 336.53. Then you got 337, 337, 338, 338, 338. I mean, you got Ole Miss, Villanova, Florida State, Georgetown, Furman, Villanova. Illinois, a guy from Illinois State, Jack Ansey of Australia, ran 339. So it's ridiculous how fast guys are running and girls are running this year. Yeah, absolutely. That's my observation, Robert. The men's 1500, I mean, Cole Hawker is the guy to beat, but that's that's going to be a stacked event. And then the women's 1500, Tanisima, she runs 412. And then the next day, at that same meet where... uh, Everyone ran the fast on the men's side, the Joe Walker Invitational. Gabriel Jennings of Furman runs an NCAA leader. She runs faster than Tanisima's time and runs 4.12.60. And you look, the top women, I mean, there's two at 4.12. You've got another two at 4.13, another three at 4.14. I mean, that's pretty impressive for, you know, we're not even halfway into April yet. Obviously, the shoes, I think, have a big part about this. And when I was thinking about, like, why do I keep harping on how fast these times are? It's because I've long wondered, what were the journalists doing during the baseball steroid era when Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were hitting these homers? Were they all thinking, oh, wow, they've just figured out their swings? I just thought, like, what idiots were those people? And I'm glad that I'm not going to be one of those idiots. Now, John and Weldon, both of you, I think you guys have repeatedly on these shows in recent weeks, when we talk about the men's 800 at the Olympic trials, you keep talking, mentioning the name Devin Dixon. Have you guys been paying attention to what he's been doing? He's not been running so hot. Man, this weekend he was only fourth, excuse me, fifth in this race, 151.89 in a 148 race. Two weeks ago, they actually had the Texas versus Texas A&M dual meet 
for the first time in a number of years. Thank you, Texas and Texas A&M. As a, someone who grew up as a Longhorn fan, I think it's disgraceful that the two schools don't play each other in football. So it's good to see that the, they actually do it in Dragon Field now. But he was only fourth in that meet, in the dual meet. So he's not doing so well. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me, actually. You know, I, his first couple races this year were 400s, and he ran 46 point, which th- that's, I was like, oh, that's, that's all right. I mean, he's run 45-22, but 40, I'm like, all right, 46, whatever. But yeah, this meet, the most recent one, the Texas A&M Team Invitational, he was the fourth guy on his team. The winning time was 148, and he runs 151.8. I mean, yeah, what what's happened to this guy? I'm puzzled. Well, by the way, I, didn't, I, I hate when people bring up meets and don't talk about who won it. Texas swept both the men's and women's competition at the Texas versus Texas A&M dual meet a couple weeks ago. And one thing when I was looking up this research on Texas A&M, you know, Pat Henry, I don't, and how many national titles has he guided during his collegiate coaching career? Something like 30-plus. It's amazing. But I just... In one of these, you know, meet recaps on the Texas A&M website, they had a quote from him, and I loved it. Like, yes, a big part of college coaching is recruiting, but you've also some of these, these top coaches are special. I just he had a quote in this thing, and he says, "I'm very pleased with some individual efforts on our team. I am not pleased with the team effort. We are not where we want to be as a team right now. We have a lot of selfishness on our team right now, and we're going to correct it." I'm not going to have a team that doesn't care about each other and is only worried about themselves. Overall, we had some great individual performance. I'm pleased with that. I'm not pleased with our team's performance. So I think that was actually after the Texas dual meet. So I just love it. He's willing to call the people out. And, you know, I, you've got not only do you have to recruit the talent, you have to maximize the talent. And obviously he's great at that. Shall we move away from the track to the marathons. We've got the greatest marathon of all time is running a marathon this weekend. I can't believe it's taking us probably over an hour to get to this point, but I think it needs to be mentioned. The Mission Marathon, it was rescheduled. It was supposed to be last week in Hamburg. Hamburg went into lockdown again. Now it's in the Twent 20 airport. I don't know how to pronounce that. In Onshed in the Netherlands. Elliot Kipchoge. The rest of the field really isn't worth talking about. Uh, there's a lot of guys who are just going to either guys and women going to either hit the Olympic standard or try to prove their fitness. But Kipchoge is the headliner, and this is his first marathon since his defeat in London last year when he was only eighth in October. So, what do you guys want to see from him? What do you expect to see from him? I spoke to his agent Valentine Trow this morning, so any questions you might have, hopefully I can do my best to answer. Yeah. Okay, John. The race has 11 sub 210 men, 11 sub 230 women, but the next fastest people are 205, 205, 206, 206, 206. So nobody that should come close to Kipchoge. What I'm wondering is, have we thought about what is the point of this race? For a lot of people to get the Olympic standard. And they've got, because the Super Shoes, way more people have the Olympic standard. But, you know, those are minor people. They're just happy to be at the Olympics. What I want to understand is why is Kipchoge running this race? He's the only elite here. And when I'm thinking about this race, I'm thinking one of two things. Let's imagine for a moment that he runs poorly here. If he runs poorly in this race, will he be done? I mean, in terms of the Olympics, I think he probably wouldn't. This could really hurt him if he does not run well. Now, I know he was a metronome, John. How many many marathons did he run in a row? 11, 12, 13? But his last race, he was not the L.A. Kipchoge that we've got, we've 
the unprecedented success that no one else has ever had. So if he runs poorly, he could be out. Think about that. But is this race just kind of set up so that they expect him to win it? And then that will solidify his spot on the team? What did the agents say? Why are they running this? So, yeah, the the purpose of this this race, I think the purpose of this race kind of predated Kipchoge. They wanted to stage an event because there aren't going to be many spring marathons, if any, this this spring. They wanted to have one last chance for a bunch of athletes to hit an Olympic standard or to make their case for selection. Kipchoge, separately, you know, Valentine said he talked with him in November after London. He was like, look, how do we, what do we want to do in 2021? Do you want to, you can either take a long break and just build up for the Olympics in August. Um, they weren't sure what the status of spring marathons were going to be. Or he said, we can try to do a spring marathon and then the Olympics like they did in 2016. That is what Chip Kipchoge traditionally does. He does one in the spring and one in the fall or, you know, summer if it's an Olympic year. And Elliot decided he wants to try to do what they've done every year, which is one in the spring, one in the fall. Uh, which will be the Olympics. It's you know not quite the full, but that is what they decided to do. So he's like, all right, I'm running a spring marathon. I'm going to prepare to do, run a spring marathon. The problem is there aren't any spring marathons this year. They're all pretty much canceled or moved to the fall. So they know his management company is putting on this race. They know we have this marathon set up for, you know, we're going to be staging it. We've got all the legwork done. Elliot, I don't think he was worried about, oh, he's not going to be facing the best competition. He just wants to get back into the rhythm of what he's always done. Because remember, he didn't get to run a spring marathon in 2020. So he just wants a marathon. This is the marathon that is available to him. So that's why he's running it. Now, in terms of will this impact his Olympic selection, that is something I asked Valentine. And he didn't seem to think so. He's like, look, the... The Athletics Kenya, the Kenyan Olympic Committee, they're going to be the ones that's making the final call on this. But I asked him, like, you know, if he bombs this, do you think it's going to be a problem? Is he going to be left off the team? And he sort of gave the indication to me he thinks Elliot's going to be on the team no matter what. Just his, I know it's been since 2019, since he ran that 159, that he's, it was his last, like, amazing race. But he's, I think he's kind of of the opinion. Elliot is going to be there no matter what. And then it's up to the three remaining guys to battle it out for the final two spots. Okay. So that's, he wants to run marathon to run, but, but what he's so much faster than us. Are they going to have rabbits? Is he going to try to run two Oh two by himself? Two Oh one. Is he going to run at two Oh five pace? Like what is the pacing going to be? Uh, that is to be determined. Uh, I asked him, yeah, I asked him what the pacing is going to be. They said they're going to wait and determine on the weather. There's going to be like one, there'll be a top group and then there'll be a group at like 207 and there'll be a group at like 209 or 210. How fast the top group is going to be, I'm not really sure because Elliot will have a say in it, but if it's 202, well, no one else is going to go with him. My assumption would be the top group might be around 205 or something like that. And then Elliot can pick it up in the second half if he's feeling good. But I don't know exactly how fast it's going to be. Is he going to be wearing an airwave mouthpiece, John? I did not ask him that question. Okay, probably should take it to the next level. Sitting here talking, just I don't know what happened. I just picked it up, put it in. I feel like I'm breathing better. Go to airwave.com. Use code LR10 to save 10%. Check it out. The airwave mouth performance piece. It's sort of fascinating to hear you guys talk about this because I'm like, wait, there's a bunch of 205 guys in this race. And then you guys act like those are scrubs. But when you're 201 and 
the other guys are 205, you are significantly better. But a 205 guy is pretty good, so if you're off your game, you will lose to them. Well, if he's in 205 shape, some of these guys haven't run this fast for a few years. Fair enough, fair enough. But I'm glad to see him racing and give us something to talk about. I was a little worried he might jeopardize his Olympic chance with a bad performance, but sounds like he won't. Uh, I don't know, Kenya, you have a plethora of riches, but... I have no problem with the selectors putting him on the team no matter what he does in this race because I don't think he would go run the Olympics if he wasn't fit at the time. So if they want to select him for the team, that would be great in my book. Yeah, I'm with you, Weldon. The Des Linden thing as well, like some of these stars, like there was no spring marathons, you know, season. So Des Linden originally was going to go do two oceans the ultra marathon in South Africa. And I thought that was great. She's like, I want to go beat people and I'm gonna try ultra running. And then that got canceled because of COVID. So this 50 K came about, they had to put on their own race, her and Brooks and Elliot sort of same thing. He's like, I want to do a spring marathon. They're like, well, there really isn't one for you. And so now they have one. I'd, be, I'd love to know like what he gets paid to do this, how that works, but maybe it's just like a tune up and it's a free marathon for Elliot Kipchoge. Well, yeah, I'm wondering, like, is there prize money? I, actually, I looked at the list. I mean, I, Stephen Kipertritz, the Olympic champion, is, is in the field. I mean, but Felix Chimayangas of Uganda, Lab, maybe they're trying to get Olympic spots. Laban Career of Kenya. That is interesting, Robert. We've got a battle of the last two Olympic champions in a marathon on this abandoned airport in uh, the Netherlands. It's pretty interesting. We got to get that story out. John like this thing. Now this is a big race. Olympic champion rematch. You guys clearly aren't in marketing. I guess we're not either in Let's Run. I was going to write something on it, but we have a podcast to record. So, you know, all things in their due time. Let's Run's too much about substance. We need to be more about flash and marketing. All right, guys. How about a thread of the week? Got a couple possibilities. Just looking at some of the top threads from the week. But I think I know where I want to go with this. Lance Armstrong has been in the news. That's actually not where I want to go, but he's... I think two of the top five threads in the past week in terms of page views are about Lance. The number one thread, Lance Armstrong accused of riding a motorized bike in his Tour de France win. Pretty interesting. He hits the back of his seat a couple of times, multiple times in races. People are suspecting he may have had a motor. Come on. I'm not buying it. Are you guys? Probably not. But if it turns out to be true, he's making a case against Alex Rodriguez as the greatest cheater in history almost notorious. I feel like A-Rod kind of holds that right now, but maybe Lance, if he has two different kinds of cheating, would take that crown. And A-Rod just somehow he skates free and everybody loves him, yet Lance is castigated. We castigate Justin Gatlin and Dennis Mitchell. The A-Rod thing puzzles me. Like it seems it's 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 cra- it's crazy to me that he's like He's so so well liked these days. It's kind well of liked. I don't think anyone likes him. The guy just cheated on, on his fiance. Uh, it's disgraceful to me. The guy has stolen hundreds of millions of dollars from people. To me, he should be in jail for the fraud that he, he committed on these. Was teams. that true that he cheated on J Lo? Do we yeah. know that, Robert? He I don't want to get it. sued. I thought they were back together. So Robert is allegedly saying something that may not have happened. He's a public figure. Robert, please Google that while we continue to talk. The other threads, Lance Armstrong. Emotion appears that he most emotionally cheated on her. Oh, emotionally, okay. The other thread was about Lance Armstrong's son getting arrested for sexual assault. Not a good thing, allegedly. I mean, he's arrested. That's not alleged. 
Number two, Mary Kane's running career is going nowhere. I'm not even really interested in talking about that because I don't think Mary Kane, I thought it was debatable whether she'd make the trials anyway and she's been injured, so she's not going to make the trials. So, you know, I wish her well as a runner, but maybe she can next year, Eugene 2022. Like, I, 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 but I don't expect her to do anything as an elite runner, period. Like, right. ever. So- do we do we have a do we have a real thread that we're going to talk about here? Well, no, you're just going to read through stuff that this is boring. This thread would have been good. But I haven't read into it. Just went on a 15 miler. What the hell? Some high school kid got <laughs> dragged on a 15 miler. I need to check that one out. But the thread of the week, in my opinion, Jacob Ingebrigtsen just got engaged. Why am I supposed to care about that? People get engaged every day. John, I just said, we need a little more style or substance. People are all into the personal lives of athletes. They're what they're doing behind the scenes, blah, 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 blah. Now, Ingebrigtsen is no longer the 17-year-old star. He's now 20, I believe? Yes. So, obviously, legal, permitted to get married, <laughs> do whatever he wants. He's an adult. But I was reading this thread, and... Did you guys? Do you guys ever watch the like Teen Ingebrigtsen documentary or reality show or whatever the hell it's called? I've only watched one episode. I've watched like the very first episode. That's it. People are debating essentially like, is this the end of his running career? <laughs> like, oh, you get married, you get soft. And I'm like, I'm sure there's. Elliot Kipchoge is married. He's doing great. Anyway, but you know, there's sort of jokes, half seriousness, seriousness of. of Runners do better when they're like trying to press someone to get them anyway. But there was this line in here saying, if you've been following the teen and from documentary, you would know that Jacob and his girlfriend have lived together on the sa- under the same roof since they were 15 or 16. What? <laughs> Did you guys know that? No, that's pretty wild, actually. So I was like, wait, like, how did this work? And the poster replied, so basically, Elizabeth, that's his fiance, would come a lot to J- Jacob's house, like every day, and sleep with him a lot since they were 16, which I guess is the legal age in um, Norway. You can see videos of Jacob and Elizabeth preparing his bag in the morning before he goes to London in 2017. Then they lived in the basement of Gert, that's the dad's house, before buying their apartment when he turned 18. So definitely some different standards in norway i don't know if too many people here living with parents that let the boyfriend and girlfriend sleep under the same roof at age 15 or 16 maybe we're not as progressive enough in america as we should be but hey my new theory is jacob ingerson just does everything like five years before the every everyone else in the world like he's getting married early and he's winning european titles at 17 he started training like an elite when he was like 11 just seems like he's on an advanced timeline compared to everyone else. Yeah, if he wasn't Norwegian, everyone if he was Kenyan, we'd be like, oh come on. Everyone knows he's like twenty-four years old right now. Like he was fifteen, he you know, fifteen, he was eighteen. <laughs> People wouldn't even be questioning it. Yeah, but whatever. He can do whatever he wants in his personal life. Like I I don't really I'm not really that interested in it. I don't really think he's twenty years of age. By that I mean his training age. You know, everyone's assuming he's going to get the world record. He very well may get it, but if he gets it, it's because of the super shoes. This is why I wish we didn't have the super shoes. How much more do we think he's going to improve? The big thing in running is when do you level off in your improvement? At what age? Most people, it's not, most males, it's not 20. It's probably the big improvement stops around 22 or 23. 
But considering he's been training at such a high level, it's not crazy to think that he's not going to improve as much as most 20-year-olds. Uh, it's not crazy, but he hasn't stopped improving yet. Ran 328 last year as a 19-year-old. So, Yeah, but there's only – assuming the shoes don't change, there's only so much farther he can go unless you think he's going to be 10 seconds faster than anyone else in history. I agree. But uh, anyway, all right. Anything else to discuss before we get out of here? Oh, yeah. I got one thing. It's been the show notes. I had it last week, and I forgot to say it. But we have an update on Hobbs Kessler, the high school phenom. Split a couple weeks ago, he ran a super fast two-mile and closed in 55 seconds. And the guy looked like he was just effing jogging at the end. I was like, that's the smoothest 55 I've ever seen. This is unbelievable, especially for a high school kid. He actually... Speaking of Jakob Abramson, that guy's so smooth when he runs. Like, There's actually a lot of similarities more I think about it. And then, John, you looked at the splits and were like, well, actually, he went you know, 25 the first 200 and 29 point the second 200. So the part in the video we saw him at the end, he's actually not running that fast. And I think a couple people wrote us, including one guy who used the name Thinking Track, and pointed out that this was a two-mile so the splits were actually not 200 meters. The first split was 182 meters. The second split was 218 meters. And I did the math and adjusted. And so for what he would have run 2757 the first 200, 2744 the second 200. So he was going 55 second pace when we saw him. It's just, man, this guy's upside is absolutely amazing. If he can run 55, be running 55 second pace and look that effortless. Yeah, I'm even more impressed because it didn't look like he was running 55 second pace to me in that video. That's something we need to look forward to. He needs to make the Olympic trials, hit the standard, get there, give the non-media that, that, that's there something to talk about. But back to that, I never commented. Yeah, have an outdoor mix zone. Like there's ways to do this. But USATF, I think, views the media as an unnecessary evil, at least the track media that they have to deal with. Instead of like something, you know, people they could work with to promote the sport and i don't know so hopefully we work something out so we're all in eugene all right robert john any final parting comments breaking news breaking news folks this better be good Brings me back to the olden days when stuff didn't break on Twitter. It used to break on the Let's Run message board before you had phone notifications and everything. I just saw something when Weldon was looking at the top threads. I was looking for top threads, and I found it. And it's appropriate that I bring it up. We're talking about the all-time great frauds. One of the all-time great frauds in U.S. history has died. R.I.P. to Bernie Madoff, the swindler, Ponzi scheme, inventor. He didn't invent the Ponzi scheme. Didn't Ponzi invent the Ponzi scheme? He invented his own is what I meant. He is dead. And I've long wanted to write a book called Everything is a Ponzi Scheme. And that's soon to be coming out. (laughs) What what do you mean? (laughs) Madoff ended up in prison. A-Rod should also be in prison. A-Rod should be in prison? Come on, man. He cheated. He needs to be. He doesn't need to be in prison. He, he stole from another baseball player. That's all I have to say on that. But on a serious note, folks, there was one really, really sad, depressing, terrible story that we didn't talk about. And I want to mention it briefly. Folks, do not drink and drive. Do not text and drive. Texting and driving is probably just as dangerous. Put your phone in the back of the car. If you're drinking, get a goddamn Uber. 
2001 NCAA Cross Country Champion Boaz Chibawawa has been arrested. He's killed a woman drunk driving and apparently was driving like 90, 100 miles an hour when he did it. So it's a really sad story. Obviously, the woman's family is devastated. And it's sad even for the drunk driver. I mean, you know, their life, she's going to be spending a long time in prison. But look at the names that he beat. We act like, you know, 2001 was kind of when we started getting going again in U.S. history. I know he wasn't an American, but Boaz won it. Jorge Torres second, Alistair Craig third, Dathan Ritzenheim fourth, Ryan Shea, Don Sage, Matt Tegenkamp. Alan Webb was 11th that year. Louis Lakini. I mean, Ed Torres, Tom McCardle, like the name. Dan Lincoln. I mean, U.S. record holder in the steeple was like 19th. Some really good. Ian Dobson was 20th. It was a sick top 25. But, folks, seriously, this is just a reminder. People, we haven't, people haven't been out going to bars and stuff like that because of COVID. Don't do it. Yeah, really sad story. Uh, the woman he struck and killed was – a mother of two young children, so can't even imagine what that family's gone through right now. So uh, just really, really sad all around. All right, everyone. Until next week, well, VIP subscribers, we'll see you on Friday for the Friday 15. Have a good week. Runners, remember, check it out. The Airwave Performance Mouthpiece. Link in the show notes. Airwave with two A's.com. Use code LR10 to save 10%. And if you want a Let's Run.com shirt, go to shop.letsrun.com. Thanks, everyone.